vast tapestry of existence, there exists a singular, incomprehensible one that transcends the limits of human understanding, the Almighty God, the creator of all that is. As mere mortals navigating the ebb and flow of our finite existence, we find ourselves yearning to grasp the essence of he who stands outside the constraints of time and space. Exploring God's nature is not a mere intellectual exercise, but a sacred pilgrimage of the soul to know him who we were created to worship. From the boundless expanses of his wisdom to the unfathomable depths of his mercy, we study God's nature in order to illuminate the contours of a God whose greatness eludes definition. May this exploration awaken a sense of reverence, humility, and wonder within your soul as we journey together into this boundless and eternal nature of God, encountering the one whose attributes are not just lofty ideals, but living truths that shape the very fabric of our reality. As we draw closer to the source of all existence, may we stand in awe of him who defies comparison, for there is none like him. A reading from 1 John. Beloved, let us love one another, for lo love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved, but God loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we, are, we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in the world. Good morning. Where were you guys the last two weeks? I was here. It was dark. It was cold. That went better in the first service. Uh, I am so grateful to be back. I also think I'm probably more relieved to be back than grateful. This rhythm being gone in my life, you notice it. You feel it. And so I am just so grateful to be back with you. In the 1950s, a young man was working in his front lawn 
This family was coming out of poverty from the Depression era, from World War II, working in the front lawn, not playing, but doing chores. One of his neighborhood friends drives by with his family. Uh, it's a Sunday morning, and they slow down the car, and his friend yells out the window, hey, we're going to church. Do you want to come? Now, I'm a pastor, so I'm just cheering. Good job, right? The young man says yes, gets in the car. They go to church. He, he's doing chores in Texas heat, but jumps in the car. They go to church. And this family is a church family. So back then, that church family sat in the front, because the front, as you guys know, is the place of honor. Same thing now. We honor you guys. Good job. Halfway through the sermon, the pastor up front keys in on this young man and then proceeds to publicly shame and humiliate him for the clothes he was wearing, white t-shirt, dirty from chores, and all of that. This man was my father. And to this day, my father does not walk with the Lord. And it's something open and clear in our relationship that we talk about that I am a Christian and he is not. We have rich discussion, we have a rich relationship, but he does not follow Jesus. When I asked him his permission to share that story with you, this is what he texted me. It diverted me from any possibility of a religious future. Now this story for me personally holds deep pain in my heart. That pastor's insecurity, judgmentalism, his spiritual smallness, his inability to love, it's so interesting what it does in me because the hurt in me that it's caused moves my heart to justify all the same behavior back to him. If I was in a room with him, what would I say? Isn't it interesting, the cycle of love and the cycle of unlove that we experience in the world? Very different cycles. Today, we're getting back with a couple weeks off into our series, None Like Him. And this whole series, I'm so grateful for it. It's actually where my heart has been personally with my walk with Jesus. This whole series is about lifting up our eyes from our lives and our circumstances and remembering who God is. This is all about the character of who God is. And today, we're talking about love. But I share that story with you to ask this question before we go any further. How does the church get so bad at love? How does the church get so bad at love? I think for many of us who've been following Jesus in the church for a long time, maybe you hear, oh, the guy's gonna talk about love. And if you're like me, I might quickly go to, oh, that's the basic stuff of Christianity, right? That's the 101 course. That's what we do in kids' church. Let's get to the meat in the sermon. Don't talk about love. I want the deep stuff. But how many of us in this room have stories like mine? Not from people out there, but hurt from people in the body of Christ who do not love, who do not model the love of Jesus. I think we actually deeply struggle to love. And if, if love is the basics, we need to get back to the basics. 
Amen. You guys awake this morning? Okay. I'm sure you all have had perfect church experiences. I'm the only one. How many church splits, pastoral failings, estranged family members, broken marriages, relationships, and friendships? How many counseling sessions have come from parents who said I loved you, but didn't live I love you? How many wounds do we carry connected to the people of God who do not model Jesus' love? Love is not basic. It is level one Christianity and level 100. We cannot outgrow love. So how does the church get so bad at love? Let me ask that question a different way. How do people who are supposed to be marked by God's love lose sight of that love so quickly? I think our, our experiences together would suggest a couple things. First, we never outgrow our need to grow in love. We never outgrow it. Second, I think it is time for the American church to rise up and show the world around us love. It is the year 2024, if you didn't know. Something's happening this year, isn't it? An election. I bet you, so many of you, you're going to find new friendships and pen pals from people you disagree with online. It's going to be so fun. I'm joking, because we all know that election cycle brings out with it hatred, division, and strife among the closest of friends and family members and that stranger you're trying to convince online. But for us as Jesus followers, 2024 should be a great year, an easy year to show the world something different, to show them a counter-cultural love. Jesus says this in John 13, a new commandment I give to you. What, Jesus? That you love one another. How, Jesus? Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Why, Jesus? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. There is a promise here from Jesus, isn't it? This is a promise. If we get love right in the church, it is meant to ripple outward. It is meant to ripple outward. The quality of our love should be so radical, so tangible, and so real that people on the outside looking in will say, that's different. Could I be loved like that? Is there room at that table in that church for me? That is what our love is meant to do. People are meant to look at the love you and I have for each other because of Jesus and either be threatened by it or attracted to it. Our love in this room, in this family, is meant to hold a disrupting power. And I want my life and our church to hold that power. So I want to do two things today, okay? 
I want to define love, and then I want to answer the question, how do we grow in love? As I always say, does that sound good? You don't have a choice. <laughs> Let's define love together. Now, if you're new to church, you need to know that we as Jesus followers do not define love the way the world defines love. We define love through the life of our Lord Jesus Christ and the scriptures, which are the living words of God. That's what we believe. Now, even within those two parameters, there are a hundred ways I could go today to define love. But I want to just focus in on three, okay? First is this. Love is not divorced from truth, but truth comes from love. Let me say that again. Love is not divorced from truth, but truth comes from love. This is important for the time in which we are living. 10 to 20 years ago, we lived in no truth culture. The bumper sticker of the day was coexist. You can laugh at that, it was funny. I recently drove downtown Portland and the bumper stickers have changed. Now we are not living in no truth culture, we have fully arrived at anti-truth culture. The bumper stickers are a bit more hostile. You can live your truth, but don't bring your truth. Don't actually believe your truth in real life. Your religion, don't bring it to bear in the public square, in businesses, in friendships, and relationships, and now don't even bring it to bear with your children in your marriage. Unless your truth flies the correct flag and doesn't offend the right people, and doesn't confront individual realities with reality, reality, it's fine for you to believe it. We live in anti-truth culture, but here is the problem. We worship truth embodied. We worship truth embodied. Jesus says in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. I am truth. He is truth embodied. So as Christians, we are hoping and longing and working to bring Jesus to the people around us. And part of that is bringing truth to the people around us. Now, this is really interesting. As I was preparing this today, you know, you write certain things when you're preparing a sermon, and you think, oh, yeah, I think people will agree with that. I think most people in this room will agree with that. I'm sorry if you don't. But here is what I think is for us in the coming days. The great challenge for you and I in the coming years will be, how do we bear the truth in love? How do we bear the truth in love? You see, there's a way and there is a bumper sticker and there is a feeling that those who are held captive by the forces of darkness bear their truth. It's a foaming at the mouth anger. It's a yelling of insecurity and rage. It's satanic manipulation and crushing. 
And then there is another way that those of us who dwell in the light of Jesus bring the gospel. And it should look and feel different. Are you with me? The culture around us emanates violence and control and coercion. We should emanate freedom, security, peace. The culture around us is foaming at the mouth. We should be calm and loving, and it should feel different. We speak the truth in love because of love, not because of truth. In Mark 10, Jesus interacts with the rich young ruler. I don't really know if he's a rich young ruler. That's the title of my kid's Bible and story that I read with my kids. Here's what it says in Mark 17 before this interaction. As Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man, maybe a rich young ruler, but a man, ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Most of you know the story. He says, why do you call me good? Who is good but who does the will of the Father? And he goes through all the commandments. Then the man says to Jesus, teacher, I have done, I, I've fulfilled the law since I was a youth. You all know the story, right? But here is what Jesus does next. He's about to bring him a rebuke and truth. But here's what it says. In verse 21, and Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and then said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. Notice how one comes before the other. Truthful rebuke is coming, but what first came was Jesus looking at him and loving him. How often do we do that online? How often do we do that with people whose political views make you feel threatened or unsafe? Can you look at them and love them and then bring the gospel to them? If I yell truthful rebuke at my children, is it loving? This is not a trick question. It's no. You can say no. But here's what we have to recognize as Jesus followers. If I yell truthful rebuke at my children, it's now no longer truth. Because now I'm misrepresenting the heart of the Father who is truth. We have exited the realm of truth because we've exited the spirit of truth. Both are tied together in Jesus, spirit and truth. Truth comes from love, not our love for truth. Second, love is communal. Jesus, who is the embodiment of love, chooses community. This is a really deep track I'm about to drop on you. That was a joke. When you read the New Testament, it would have been so much easier if Jesus did not have the 12 disciples. 
It would have been so much more efficient, less headache. I feel like half the teachings of the New Testament are like Jesus reacting to the disciples. Guys, I just said this to you five minutes ago. It would have been so much easier for him to not have the 12. Have you ever thought about that? Yet he chose life with the 12 and the other disciples for a reason. And as Americans, if you are breathing in this room, you and I have individualism running in our veins. The founders of our country 300 years ago, give or take, sorry history guys, 300-ish years ago, we loved the guy who could build a cabin in the woods and write a book about it. His name was Thoreau. Today, we also still love watching the guy going out in the cabin in the woods. We just do it on YouTube. Are you with me? We love the guy or the gal who can bring themselves up by their own bootstraps. That's what we love. We also live in consumer culture, and we also live in the digital age. Why does all this matter? Because everything in your world as Americans is built around you being alone. This is what Jesus says in 1 John, the first couple verses of our passage. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. Anyone who does not love does not know God. That's a little legalistic, John. That's a joke. John is saying that you cannot, there is no paradigm for loving Jesus and not loving the church. There is no paradigm for loving Jesus and not loving him in community. It does not exist in the Bible. It exists in American Christianity. It does not exist in scriptures. Do you know that there are people in this family, in this room, who God has predestined to be here to love you? Isn't that crazy? There are people in this room who the living God will speak to you through, who are here to encourage you, at times rebuke you, and love you through the Holy Spirit in them. You cannot love Jesus and neglect his bride. And I say this very aware of the irony of what I'm about to say. But I recently became aware, a few months ago, became aware of another big pastoral failing. And this wasn't like a slippage. This was like abuse. This is Rabbi Zacharias level gross stuff. And I had, I couldn't emotionally dive into it a couple months ago. But I felt the Lord calling me, you need to face this. You need to face this and you need to ask yourself hard questions. And as I did a deep dive, I'm talking about YouTube, YouTube deep dive into all this 
scandal of various church leaders. I'm just struck by, oh my gosh, even as a pastor, it is so hard to love the church. Sometimes it is so hard to love the church, and it is so easy for our trust to be broken. And still, Jesus loves the church. He loves his bride. And he says his intent is to make us spotless before he returns. He loves the bride. He loves us despite ourselves. Truth comes from love, and love is communal. And lastly, in defining love, love is Jesus. And because love is Jesus, there's an irony in me trying to define love. Because in a way, you cannot define it or nail it down because love is a person. It is the living Holy Spirit in you that is alive. But there's one scripture I want to read that I think captures the heart of love as defined by Jesus and his life. It's Psalm 23. And I just want to read the whole psalm to you. It's just six verses. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I prepare a table, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want to key in on the last verse there, which is verse 6 which says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That word mercy is the Hebrew word hesed, which more woodenly translated says steadfast love. That's the meaning of that word, steadfast love. So if we get that sentence right, it's surely goodness and steadfast love will follow me all the days of my life. But there's one more word I want to key in here. It's the word follow, which is the Hebrew word radap. I know it's Hebrew. I'm, gonna, I'm almost done, okay? The other place the word radap or follow is used is when Pharaoh is following after Israel trying to kill them in the Red Sea. The other place it is used is Saul following David trying to kill him. The other place it is used is the Israelites hunting down and following the Philistines after David kills Goliath. So what does this verse mean? Surely goodness and steadfast love will stalk me, chase me, hunt me, 
pursue me, run after me, and seek me all the days of my life. Do you know that love? God is love, and his love is stalking after you today. Love is God creating a people he knew minutes later would hide from his love. God's love is Jesus coming to live in the bloodiest period of human history. It's Jesus' blood poured out on the cross. It's his resurrection. It's him saying to us, I'm leaving and leaving you something better, the Holy Spirit in you. Do you know that love? Love is the prodigal God running out to you and embracing you before you can even say sorry. It's forgiving you 70 times 7, which is just Bible for infinity times. It's love in John 17 before Jesus dies and is crucified and betrayed in his high priestly prayer, thinking of you and me. That's all he's thinking about before he dies. What would you and I think about on our last days? I wouldn't think about y'all, sorry. You wouldn't think about me. He is thinking about us in his last days. Father, I ask that the love you have for me, you give to them. That's his high priestly prayer before he is betrayed and crucified. Do you know that love? Because God loves us, he is our father, not our master. You are adopted, not an orphan. You are written into the will. You have unlimited checks to write. You are friends of God because of his love. You are beloved. You are his delight. He loves you. You are secure. You are accepted. He is your covering. He is your friend. Do you know this love? This is not self-esteem Disney Channel gospel. This is the gospel. This is Jesus on the cross. Do you know this love? I think most of you have agreed to this love, but do you know it? Do you believe it today? But then we have to come back. If that is our inheritance, and if that is the gospel, and if it's real, how do we, how does the church get so bad at love? Before our passage today, 1 John 3. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence in God. John is getting at this reality that he knows that even those of us who have said yes to Jesus, who call ourselves his followers and believers, we still, we still struggle to believe that he loves us. There is something in all of our hearts that believes, oh, God's love, it's good for other people, but it doesn't seem to work for me. There's something in our hearts that says, I believe God loves, but he could never really love me. In each of us is Adam and Eve hiding all over again. As I've walked with God, with Jesus, believing he loves me, 
has been one of the hardest parts of faith. I believe it theologically. But when I'm stressed, when I'm anxious, when I'm about to preach in front of a lot of beautiful people, I question, could you really love a person like me? I think the Christian journey with Jesus could be boiled down to just living as beloved. That is the journey and the work. So how do we win this battle? How do we live like we actually believe he loves us? One practice for us today, one invitation for us today as a church, abiding love. The practice of abiding. The reason God's love has to chase us and pursue us is because we are constantly running from it. Abiding in his love is where we stop running, we turn, and we receive his love. In our text today, this is what it says, the last two verses. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and, God's, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected in us. Now, if you've ever had uh, an injury or a surgery, you know that the, the surgery moment is kind of where they fix you, right? None of you have been injured. I, you don't understand. Okay. The surgery moment is kind of where you're fixed, right? But then after surgery, there's this thing called rehab, where you rehab the broken arm, you rehab the broken leg. The gospel, Jesus on the cross, is our surgery. It is finished. But abiding is the rehab work. It's where every day we go to the secret place with God where no one else is, no social media, no distraction, where we meditate on his word and we pray to him. That is the rehab. That is how we come alive to the love that's been given us. It's in the secret place of abiding where he says to us again and again, you are my son, you are my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. He reminds us who we are and he reminds us what I say about you is what is most important about you. And it's in the secret place where he will bring people in this community to your mind for intercessory prayer and to show you how to love them. I want to make a promise to you today. I promise you that this next year, if you give Jesus 20 minutes of your day, your life will change. 
Do you know why I can promise that to you? Because Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says that when you go to pray in quiet, the moment you close the door, your Father who is in secret will see you in secret. It's promise. It's fact. The moment you close the door, the moment you make time, he is there. The work is us stopping and turning and receiving him being there. It's in the secret place that God's people receive love and begin to live love. It's in the secret place of abiding that he will light a fire in you and give you authority and security and passion, and that fire will spread. I need you to know that in the coming days and years, if you build your walk with Jesus around me and Jason and Jordan, whoever it is up here on a Sunday, that will not be strong enough for the coming days. 2024 will probably not be better than 2020. Election year, all the craziness. You need more than this. You cannot build your walk with Jesus off of my walk with Jesus. You have to get to the secret place. And it's there that the fire spreads. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Holy Spirit, come. Jesus, we just repent. We are so quick to run from your love. We are so quick to even as believers covered by the blood of Jesus, not believe you love us. And Holy Spirit, we just acknowledge so many of us, myself included, this last two weeks of ice storms and power outages. My, my life is just upside down. I'm already failing in New Year's resolutions. But Jesus, you just say one thing is necessary. Not a hundred, just one. To sit at your feet in the quiet place is our one thing. Holy Spirit, would you breathe freedom into hearts this morning? Would you awaken our church to the need to abide? This is not religious. This is relationship, and we need you. Fill our hearts today with your love, Jesus. Fill our faith today with a new love for you that's not built on Sunday. I'm praying for a new wave for our Sunday mornings, that they would be celebrations of you speaking and healing and loving in the quiet place, not build my life on this moment of spirituality at church. Reframe it for us, because that faith will not be strong enough for the days ahead. We need the Holy Spirit in all believers. We need the body of Christ, head to toe, to come alive in the coming days. Holy Spirit, teach us to love again. We receive your love this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.